Christian community, mission and the future of the church. Hello and welcome back to Nomad Podcast. We're a group of friends from Nottingham, England who are thinking about what community and mission might mean today. We're doing this by chatting with various Christian thinkers and visiting other Christian communities and seeing how they're incarnating God's love in their neighbourhood. This month I'll be getting things started with a chat with Frank Viola, a leader in the organic church movement. This month's guest on Nomad Podcast is the international speaker and author whose books I've found hugely challenging and exciting, Frank Viola. Frank's speaking and writing covers a range of topics, but he's become particularly associated with his writing on radical church reform in books such as Pagan Christianity, Reimagining Church, and the forthcoming Finding Organic Church. And consequently, he's become known as a leading authority and what has become known as Organic Church. So, Frank, welcome to Nomad Podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Now, um, you start your book, Reimagining Church, by saying that you've left the institutional church. And so I'm wondering whether you could begin this interview by firstly defining institutional church and secondly telling us a little bit about what led you to take such a bold and controversial step in publicly leaving it. The institutional church is what many have called the traditional church or the conventional church or the organized church. It's typically a church that organizes itself around a clergy and a laity, around a pastor or reverend, and then the people who come to a building typically and listen to a sermon, which is the focal point of most Protestant evangelical churches. It has paid staff, and then it has volunteers, and it operates as an institution above and beyond and independent from the people who populate it. So basically, it, it operates very much like a business, only it has a religious element to it. The thing about the institutional church is that even though there are about 33,000 denominations plus in Protestant Christianity, they all operate pretty much the same. This is what uh, George Barna and I have pointed out in the book Pagan Christianity. The order of worship is fairly typical. I was part of different denominations and, and non-denominations, quote-unquote, in Protestant Christianity for many years. And for me, I pulled the ripcord on the whole thing and left it all because of several things. One, I began to see in my study of the New Testament that what I was experiencing as church had very little points of contact with what I read in the New Testament. Everything from the way we meet, where we meet, how we meet, what happens in the gathering, this whole business of going to church, quote-unquote, you cannot find it in the New Testament. The New Testament Christians met together, but they did not go to a service. And then the other thing is, spiritually I was dying. I came to realize later that the reason for that is because the institutional church doesn't really give you a venue to minister and to share in the meeting. I'm talking about that Sunday morning or Wednesday night church service. You go to receive. You bring your bucket. You, you go, of course, you worship a little bit, uh, but you're being led by a team of professionals, typically. Uh, and then you sit and you listen. You sit like a pillar of salt, and you stare at the back of someone's head for 45 minutes. And there's very little to no ministry that you yourself do during that meeting. It's basically uh, what many have come to call a show. <laughs> So consequently, that was another thing. I realized that you don't grow, uh, a Christian does not grow unless he is functioning. 
And so I was dying because I was sitting there listening to, you know, a man preach or a worship team sing, and I would, of course, participate as much as I could. But when the preaching goes on, then you sit and you listen. The other thing is, quite frankly, I became bored, bored stiff. This was not the typical caricature dead church. This is Pentecostal charismatic, you know, <laughs> living churches. I mean, I saw people bored, and, um, you know, later many have admitted that that's the case. And I guess the last one is probably the most important. I had a spiritual instinct deep inside me that says there's got to be more than this. There has to be an expression of church that is not only closer to the New Testament, but that maps to my spiritual instincts. And I remember calling back to when I was in college, and I was with a group of Christians, I was a new Christian, and we were together all the time. And we fellowshiped together, and we, we learned Jesus Christ together, and we worshiped together, and we had no leader among us. There was no body, you know, running the show. It was a very natural, organic thing. And I realized that looking back later, we had touched something of the organic nature of the ecclesia, even though we didn't call it that, even though we didn't know what that was. Gosh, this around 1988, I just, I gave it up for Lent. I stopped attending the institutional church. So let's, I mean, obviously we need to pick up on, on what the Bible teaches, and you've mentioned that a couple of times. I think it's fair to say that the majority of Christians would look to the Bible for teaching on belief and behavior, but clearly your books are suggesting the Bible teaches us how we should organize church. So could you give us a brief overview of what the Bible actually says about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, there's there's a lot here. And just so your listeners know, Reimagining Church uh, is really set out to do that in great detail. And I even have a chapter where every conceivable objection that people would level against what I envision the New Testament to teach regarding leadership and meetings and so forth every objection that's stated is answered so it's a very comprehensive book but basically there's several things uh, one of them is that the leadership of the church uh, of jesus christ ought never to be hierarchical and jesus himself taught this it's, it's clear as a bell he said you know the gentiles lead in this particular way you know one rules over another and then he turned to his disciples and he said it shall not be so among you and if you look at the Greek there, he's actually talking about hierarchical, top-heavy leadership. The leadership that governs the Roman world. The leadership that uh, most businesses in the West and most social organizations operate by. And Jesus said to his disciples, it shall not be so among you. So consequently, with John Howard Yoder has brought this out very well. Uh, Robert Banks has brought this out very well. Howard Snyder has brought this out very well. You have a body, a living, breathing body. There's only one head, and it's Jesus Christ. But you have different members that have different functions and different giftings. Okay? Those members and those functions all carry the authority from the head. And, you know, the finger doesn't have authority over the foot, <laughs> and the arm doesn't have authority over the hand. You know, the leg doesn't have authority over the wrist. It all comes from the head. And so, consequently, the headship of Jesus Christ, not as a theory or as a doctrine, but as a living, breathing reality, as a, as a functioning organism, something that can be experienced, is really the heartbeat of organic church. The other thing is there's community. The brothers and the sisters in the church, and, and that's, I'm using that term, comes straight out of the New Testament. When you really get to know your fellow Christians in a local gathering, 
in a local community, you, you recognize that you are really brothers and sisters in Christ. The New Testament uh, uses this language, and it just kind of organically comes out. But the point is, is that it's community. It is truly family. And that means you're involved with one another's lives. You, you live a shared life. You take care of one another. You grow to love one another. You live through the bad and the good. And this is the thing that, that shook the Roman Empire to its core, was that there was this people who, in that day, in that selfish, self-seeking, self-indulgent day, truly loved and cared and took care of one another. And uh, the pagans just were amazed by it. They were baffled by it. So this is another characteristic. Another characteristic is that the meetings of the church, there are different kinds of meetings. Now there's apostolic meetings, there's ministry meetings, there's prayer meetings, there's evangelistic meetings as you read the New Testament. But the meeting of the church, the regular meeting of the church, where the writer of Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, is a meeting that is open and participatory, where every member of the body of Christ functions and shares and ministers on equal footing. And the head of that meeting is none other than the Lord Jesus himself. And so this is not a service where you come in, you sit down, you follow a professional group or band, they you know lead you into singing, and you sit down and you listen to a, a professional pastor preach a sermon. It's not that at all. It's where you come in and you have experienced Christ together with your brothers and sisters in this local community. You come into that meeting, and now you share him. In 1 Corinthians 14, 26, Paul makes it very clear. When you come together, every one of you has a psalm, a hymn, a teaching, an exhortation, a word of prophecy, etc. But all things be done unto edifying. And so this kind of meeting is what our spiritual instincts long for. We have a spiritual need to give out what God gives to us. Uh, what God puts in, we have to pour it out to others, and that's what the meeting of the church really is. And this is pretty much uh, unheard of in most traditional churches today. Of course, the first response to it is, well, that would be chaotic. <laughs> and actually it would if God's people are not equipped, and that brings us to the role of ministry, the apostolic ministries to equip the saints to function in those kind of meetings, as well as to minister in all different capacities, and as well as to uh, take care of one another. So uh, this is all addressed in the book, but that just gives you a little bit of a snapshot of, of what we're talking about. Very, very different from what most evangelical and Protestant, mainline Protestant uh, churches have observed in the way of practice. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, a lot of people that are listening to this, this may well be completely new for them. So I'm wondering whether you could give maybe a kind of a concrete example of your experience, what this actually might look like. I'll give you one example. In one of the churches I had planted, there's about 30 people coming together every week, but also during the week. And what they did for this particular meeting is they broke up in pairs, men with men, uh, women with women, and they got together in the morning. Uh, all throughout the week in pairs and they pursued Jesus Christ and one of the things that, that I do as someone who plants churches is I give God's people very practical tools and handles on how to encounter and commune and fellowship with the Lord in a real way that goes beyond the typical okay pray and read your Bible but very real and practical ways to, to fellowship with Christ and to receive from the Holy Spirit and so they did this. They were uh, getting together in the mornings in pairs, pursuing the Lord, fellowshipping with the Lord, 
over a particular text of scripture, I think it was. And then they all came together. I think they met on a Sunday morning. And it was an explosion of sharing, one after the other, what they have received from the Lord that week in their times with Him in the morning. And so, for example, uh, they would start out with singing, and everyone would be in the middle of the room standing up, and uh, they had memorized many of their songs. In fact, they would written many of their songs. And so you'd have a sister start out a song, and everybody would join in. There were, there were no musical instruments in this particular meeting. And you'd have a brother start a song, and everyone would join in. And then you have prayers interspersed in the middle of the songs, and declarations peppered in the middle of the, the singing. And, and another song, someone else would start, everyone would sing another song. And this would go on for maybe 30 minutes. But uh, what's interesting about that is there's no worship leader. Everybody is operating as a functioning priest. And after that time of rich worship and praise, they all sat down, and then immediately a brother stood up and began to share what he had seen of Jesus Christ, what he had fellowship with the Lord about, what he had received from the Spirit in his time with his other partner as they sought the Lord over a text of Scripture, and he began to share it. It was living, and it was, it was powerful. They may share maybe five, five, seven minutes, nothing terribly long. It wasn't a sermon. He sat down and a sister would pop up and she would now share a song that she had written from her time together in the Lord. She'd sit down and another brother would stand up and this was not planned ahead of time. The only thing that was planned was they were coming to give. As Hebrews chapter 10 exhorts, exhort one another, it says, come to give, not to receive. And one after the other after the other would share Christ, the Christ that they had met that week as they fellowshiped with him over a portion of scripture. And there would be interruptions, too. As one brother was sharing, a sister would say, Oh, wait a minute, I just have to say this. When you said such and such, my heart just went on fire, and I just have to add this. And there would be interruptions. And what's so interesting about that is, Paul said that that would happen in 1 Corinthians 14, if you read it. Uh, this is a meeting that is so full of life and is so fresh that people are interrupting one another to share their living Lord. And so this happened, and th that meeting probably went on for an hour and a half. So that, that's kind of a, an example of uh, what a meeting could look like. The community life, though, is, gosh, we can talk for hours about this, but just simple ways and practical ways of how Christians, after they've been saturated in Jesus Christ with a revelation of Him, where they fall in love with Him, they begin to fall in love with one another, and they take care of one another in the most practical ways that you can imagine. A true church that is operating the way she should, the way God has orchestrated it, you will see a microcosm of the kingdom of God there operating. You will see people uh, having peace with one another. You will see justice. You will see the standing with the oppressed. You will see the wealthy giving to the poor so that there is an equality. You will see needs being met left and right. Uh, you will see a people who love one another to the point where they marry one another, they feed one another, and then they bury one another. And uh, this is what it was in the first century. This is what it was in the second century. This is why Christianity took off the way it did, uh, is because the pagans would look and say, Behold how they love one another. And that, that has been lost. Uh, with the institutional church and you know the big, large mega churches and everything, it's become a performance, a spectator sport, something you attend, 
I realize there's the programs and all that, but that's nothing like what I'm talking about. This is so out of the soil organic, uh, and Jesus Christ is still alive, and he's alive enough to be head of his own church. All of that begs the question, how did the modern church get so far from that, that biblical model? Where did it start going wrong? The answer to that question is why we wrote Pagan Christianity, because it is the historical development of that. Yeah, I think it began with the death of the apostles and the men they trained. And what you had historically is you had a lot of Greco-Roman philosophers and orators came into the church with a Greco-Roman mind. And with the death of the apostles and the men they trained, you know, I'm talking Timothy, Titus, Epaphras, Aristarchus, Secundus, Sopater, these men who Paul Tarsus trained for three years in Ephesus, all of them passed away. They were killed, most of them. And in effect, you had people coming into the church, you know, in that day, illiteracy was running at 90% or more. And so the gifted, those who could read, those who could write, those who could speak, many of them were former pagan philosophers. And so what happened is suddenly the culture began to seep into this colony of heaven, which is the church, <laughs> from another realm. And instead of being a cultural expression of the Church of Jesus Christ, the culture began to take over. And you had this blending together of the Greco-Roman mind and hierarchical leadership, which comes straight out of Rome and harkens back even to Babylon and Egypt, was being brought into the church. And uh, it slowly began to devolve to look like the culture in ways that violated the teachings of Jesus. And, you know, the hierarchical leadership structure is just one example uh, you had uh, guys going around, the sophists, pagan philosophers, who would be paid for teaching a group of people. They would sit there mesmerized by the great oratory of the Greco-Roman philosopher and orator. And that was brought straight into the Christian faith. And uh, that's when you had the birth of the one-man show, you know, giving the sermon and being paid for it. Uh, and we traced this all in the book. Then when Constantine came along, then that's when the guillotine dropped lots of things started happening there. You started having clergy salaries. And now you had the buildings being gone up, sacred buildings, you know, that were viewed as being something holy, the house of the Lord. People calling church a building, which is like calling my wife a skyscraper. You know, the church is never a building. It was, it was the bride of Christ. It was the people of God. And so you had all this come in, this influence. And it, what's interesting, too, is Today you've got a lot of uh, writers, some of them are my good friends, who are talking about the Constantinian influence of empire and of war and of the whole issue of how people are being treated and what the kingdom of God is opposed to empire and tracing it all back to Constantine. And you can find a lot of this in people like Stuart Murray and Craig Boyd and uh, even Brian McLaren and others emerging uh, writers and you know I agree with all of what they say about that the thing is I'm taking it a step further and saying well okay that's great these observations about Constantinian influences on politics and the nation state and all that is dead on but we also need to go further and look at the Constantinian influences on the church of a living God the practice of the church and that's what George Barna and I do in pagan Christianity we 
take dead aim at all the practices that we Christians have enshrined, and I'm talking Protestant practices. We really don't deal with the Catholic Church much at all. But we're talking about the typical Protestant Church. Where do we get all these things from, and why do we do them? And uh, what we have found is that most people never ask that question. I know I didn't for many years. You know, as a young Christian, I'd walk into the church building, I'd sit in the pew, I'd you know, follow the liturgy, I'd sit down, listen to the sermon, and never for one second ask, where did all this come from? Why are we doing this? So that's what we do in that particular book. Just, just so your listeners know, pagan Christianity and reimagining church are two sides to the same coin. Pagan Christianity deconstructs and exposes where we got all these practices from and raises the question, are they a help or are they a hindrance? And are they rooted in New Testament principles or do they violate them? And then reimagining church paints a, a constructive picture of what the Church of Jesus Christ can be and, in my opinion, should be. Okay, just final question. Um, when you look at the church in 10, 20, maybe 30 years in the future, what do you see and what would you like to see? Here's what I'd like to see, but it won't happen. I'd like to see the institutional church both in its Catholic expression, its Eastern Orthodox expression, and its Protestant expression, to be virtually non-existent, and replacing it will be organic expressions of the Church of Jesus Christ in every city on this planet. And that would incorporate the best of the Catholic tradition, the best of the Eastern Orthodox tradition, the best of the Protestant tradition, but the difference would be that Jesus Christ would take the place of the modern clergy when he would be head of these churches and every member of the body in all those cities would be functioning all throughout their cities and different homes and different places of meeting. And we'd no longer say, let's go to church. We'd say, let's go to the meeting. And we'd understand that we are the church. And that, that's in a perfect world. What I see happening is not that. What I see happening is this that the Catholic Church will continue to go on as it has today. The Eastern Orthodox Church will go on as it has today. And the Protestant Church will go on as it has today. The difference is I think they will not be as strong as they are at this moment. I think the trends of, of history uh, over the last 50 years are showing this. George Barna's book, Revolution, predicts there's going to be a massive exodus uh, out of these groups. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but here's what I see that's going to be very different. The organic expression of the church, Christians that meet in homes, Christians that do not have a clergy, do not have a modern pastoral role, where every member is functioning, where every member is taking leadership, or people are making decisions together as the church, where there is a, a holding strong to God's eternal purpose, a true understanding of that and expressing it as community, I believe that that is going to be far more widely accepted than it is today. So in other words, I see happening what happened in the First Reformation. The First Reformation, under Luther, Calvin, etc., did not change the institutional church, not at all. All it did was it created a new way of meeting and a new theology that was different from the accepted church of the day. The Catholic Church didn't go away with Reformation, <laughs> you know, still as strong as ever. But now you have churches that 
well, the Lutheran Church is accepted today as being, you know, part of Christianity. And so I see this happening with the organic expression of the Church. In many quarters, it's very strange, it's very odd. You guys are rebelling, you guys are doing something that isn't right, you're breaking tradition, da-da-da. Well, I think in 30 years, it'll be just as accepted as the Catholic and Protestant Church. And, you know, if that happens, great. But uh, personally, I'm, I'm a revolutionary. I'd like to see the course of church history change. Frank, thanks so much for your faithfulness to your ministry and for your time today. We know you're in great demand, uh, so we really appreciate you speaking with us today. Thanks very much. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Uh, good points there from Frank. bit controversial in some places, thought, but like also very good points. Um, what does everyone think? Could we uh, relate to the sort of three reasons why he left institutional church? Obviously, a little bit careful what we say here. We're being bored. But, uh, we said he was bored, uh, he had a spiritual instinct that there must be more, and he wasn't growing. Well, if anybody tells you that they've been to a church service, uh, as anyone says they've not been bored ever, is a liar. <laughs> I, think, I think there's it's like the difference is because he was saying about I think we could all kind of relate to being bored in church but he was talking about being bored specifically in really kind of going for it Pentecostal charismatic churches wasn't he yeah, yeah. so he wasn't saying I find certain styles of worship boring he was saying the whole thing and I think what I relate to on that is and I didn't know if it was because I've been involved in kind of church leadership to an extent and preaching and worship leading and stuff. I guess I've sometimes wondered whether my, because I've had those experiences, then going back to just being a kind of passive member of a congregation, you kind of think, oh, I wish I was doing a bit or, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it sounds like maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's more than just once you've had a taste of doing a bit of upfront stuff, that there's actually something kind of disengaging and... He was talking about not growing spiritually as well, wasn't he? By just yeah. kind of being a partaker, receiver, consumer, whatever. Yeah, and I can certainly relate to that. I mean, right from when I first became a Christian, I always found myself um, getting more out of small groups than the sun main Sunday service. And, and I think that's because, for me personally, if I'm not actively engaged in something, I don't have that sense of ownership and that sense of involvement. And so, yeah, I can relate to him even in brilliant kind of conference environments with great teaching and, and worship I, I can find my mind wandering because I'm I'm just sitting there I find that like my sort of personal experience of Jesus doesn't then always sort of match up with going to church and church services and like kind of I can feel like really excited about Jesus and you know praying and you know seeking the spirit and things and then going to church um, yeah something like so I'm not saying that it's never exciting or anything like that, but there's times when it it isn't it doesn't always not always the same as my personal experience. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't always feel like a natural expression of, yeah, of my faith. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, so I can relate to what he he referred to as his spiritual instinct and I can remember I had quite a, a dramatic conversion and I can remember a couple of weeks later going to a Sunday service and thinking, What what's this all about? Do you know mm. what I mean? Just in terms of singing songs and listening to monologue, I just find it hard to connect that with the experience I've had. I think maybe well, a bit of the problem is kind of um, services a lot of the time seem to be kind of set up in a very unnatural way because we, 
in a matter of lives, we don't very often just sit for an hour quietly. Not that we're always doing that, even in the worship and stuff like that. Or singing sing, groups, Or singing in groups, you know what I mean? We're more, you know, we're kind of social animals, so to speak, you know? And we just seem to do things, seem to have imposed this kind of slightly unnatural structure on our services that we wouldn't do anywhere else. And it's, I suppose it's, I mean, he puts it down to uh, Greco-Roman oratory and things like that, doesn't it? The influence that that has on... Christianity and the way we set things up. I I think that it conditions us, arguably, a lot of us to be kind of to sit quietly and listen and receive. Um, and if a Sunday service is what we see as the primary expression of church, then it's maybe not surprising when we meet up on other occasions and some people find it hard to open up and start chatting openly about Christianity because their usual expression of Christianity is to sit and listen. To the person who arguably knows more than they do. Do you know what I mean? But it kind of builds in that it doesn't yeah. sort of promote, like he's talking about those services where everyone's taking part and everyone's bringing something. Mm. It's it's very different, isn't it, to what we often experience? Does anyone have an experience of the type of service that he was referring to, which is kind of more so you don't like have an order of service? People are prepared during the week and they turn up and. Just see what happens. Not really. I guess small group is like trying to be the closest to that, but even that will still have somebody who's mainly cho- been you know, chosen to bring some teaching and lead something. But um, I suppose in our small group prayer times is the closer, isn't it, when we try and just let God guide the prayer time. Mm. But it doesn't come easy, does it? But I suppose if maybe the small groups were, you uh, didn't have that leader who knew was going to bring something, if everybody said, Right, we want you know everyone to bring something in the week, you know, something to the small group, and so be preparing in the week. I guess that'll really encourage you to really seek God throughout the week, be praying, and um, yeah, that'd be a real encouragement. And then, and then you've got that accountability then as well when you come to the small group, because you know that you know it's up to each member to bring something. And and then I can yeah, imagine that happening. Then when people do start talking and sharing what God's doing, like Frank was saying. Like sort of how exciting and encouraging that is and I guess that was a snowball so once you kind of get into that rhythm of doing it that way you almost can't wait to you know, get into the week and be kind of yeah praying and living for God and stuff yeah I think, it, I think it's interesting how actually having a leader can kind of um, make it easier almost to opt out can't it from like I don't know really following Jesus and really like being on a mission and all those things because sometimes um, I think like the structure of church where we have like people who are paid to do certain things can like go along with that idea that you need to have it needs to be your full-time occupation and you need to be paid to and you need to be a specialist to be able to do things like um, like when people have pastoral workers and and ministers and youth workers and people that are paid and maybe if a congregation is putting money towards those paid jobs it may, might make them think that you know that they're the people to do that and we just sit on the pews and kind of consume and mm, it's too easy to defer to the professional isn't yeah. it yeah mm. and that's what and i guess when you think about churches you think who's who is responsible for this congregation who's responsible for the well-being of of this congregation their spiritual growth and you would i don't know you probably quite easily say that the minister is or the pastor is 
And you might say he's responsible for the youth worker here, the youth workers, he's responsible for the evangelism here, the outreach workers. Whereas like the kind of thing like Hannah was saying, if, if it's set up like that, there's an imperative to be on top of your game in terms of your own spirituality because you have a responsibility for the people you're going to meet with. Because if you haven't been meeting with God and if you haven't got something to bring, then everyone else is going to miss out. And in the same way with, with mission, if you aren't sharing your faith, then think the kind of community isn't going to grow. But often in traditionally structured churches, there isn't that same sense of it being a vital imperative for you to do that because mm. it's more like, well, we employ someone to do that. Mm. And that's not really my role. I'm here to, it's about me and my personal relationship with God and hopefully they're going to feed me so I can keep hearing myself. thought is, um, his sort of third reason for leaving the institutional church was that he wasn't growing spiritually and a while back I was looking at the New Testament in order to try and determine what the point of church services were and Paul, Apostle Paul makes it quite clear that it's to edify people, so to strengthen them, to equip them, to train them, to kind of get them ready for works of service, mission basically and I think, um, and that's where traditionally structured Sunday services can fall down because we are are basically passive consumers we've been we sing we say amen to the prayers and then we listen that's not i mean that's not a very effective way of training people is it it's not a very effective way of equipping people mm. and so although i don't think the new testament model of church well in terms of what they actually did we have to copy it exactly i think the principles are important and that smaller groups and where everybody can contribute i think it was deliberately set up that way because that's the best way to edify people it's the best way to equip people and to train people by them actually being involved. Um, so I think I would agree with him that um, that principle, even if we don't copy that model exactly, the New Testament model, those principles I think need to be applied if church is going to be effective. Every month on the podcast, we hope to offer some resources to you if you're interested in finding out more about some of the topics we've been discussing. Uh, Frank Viola, if you were listening carefully, mentioned quite a few of his books during that interview with Tim and uh, here to give us a little bit more of an insight on those publications is Tim Nash himself. Uh, well, the first book he mentioned was Pagan Christianity, Exploring the Roots of Our Church Practices, and that's by Frank Viola and George Barner. Uh, it's a very interesting book. Each chapter looks at a core Protestant evangelical practice and then looks at whether it's biblical and what other influences may have brought that about. Uh, so, for example, it looks at the church building, the order of worship, the sermon, the pastor, Sunday morning um, dress, ministers of music, tithing and clergy salaries, baptism and Lord's Supper, a whole range of stuff. And it basically digs down and exposes the whole mix of influences that has brought them about. So basically it's kind of deconstructing a lot of church traditions. Uh, then the next book, Reimagining Church, Pursuing the Dream of Organic Christianity, kind of reconstructs those practices. So it's important that you read both those books. Um, so it follows on from pagan Christianity and it shows how the key elements of church practices need to be reconfigured in order to be biblical. So section one looks at community in gatherings and it uh, looks at reimagining the church as an organism church meetings the lord's supper gatherings the family of god and church unity and then section two looks at leadership and accountability and it looks at reimagining leadership oversight decision making spiritual covering authority and submission denominational covering and apostolic tradition uh, so it's a really um, interesting book and kind of ruthlessly biblical really looking at exactly what the bible says about those things and then the final book which has just come out i haven't read it yet is called 
called Finding Organic Church, a Comprehensive Guide to Starting and Sustaining Authentic Christian Communities. And that basically answers the, the how question. Uh, how do we actually get back to that kind of New Testament biblical model? How do we start or transition to a more organic form of church? If you listen to this podcast regularly, you might be asking yourself, is all that Tim Nash ever does is read Christian books? And the answer is, yes, it is. And you might ask, does Tim ever read any books that aren't Christian? The answer is no. Thank you very much, Tim Nash. It's a pleasure. Don't forget that you can get in touch with us via email, connect at nomadblog.co.uk, or you can interact with us on our Facebook site. And uh, we thought that we'd give a little section to what's been going on on the Facebook site. Tim has some interesting thoughts. Um, Andrew from St. Neans made the uh, very interesting point. He says, I just wanted to say that I'd always wondered what Nick looked like, because I'm a big fan of his accent. No, he well, knows. Where is my photo available from? Uh, it's, it's on the Facebook page. Anyway. Yeah. Is it a photo of you on the page, blog page as well? Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I don't remember giving my permission to No, we just took it. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm, it's implicit in. It's nice that people think I've got an accent because I've lost it over the years. Really? What is the accent? Could we try and define it? Stoke. It's a vague, it's vaguely Stoke on Trent. Mm. It's like a well-read Stoke, Stoke <laughs> accent. It's like an educated Pottery's accent. Yeah. Mm. So there you go. It's a good description. Um, I, I, we've got a tape of me doing my testimony at church when I was about 16. <laughs> and I talk a lot slower and a lot more Stokey. Maybe we could get a clip. <laughs> Maybe you could get the clip where he says he's decided to become a minister. Uh, yeah, in the, yeah. <laughs> I talk about becoming a Methodist minister. <laughs> and look where you are now. Now time's changed. Oh, no. <laughs> that was the dream, not anymore. I said, I said to me careers teacher, um, think I want to be a Methodist minister. That's how I talk. I'm <laughs> <laughs> nice. So if you've got anything interesting like that to tell us, then... <laughs> or a favourite member of the group, maybe, let us know. Then email us at connect at nomadblog.co.uk. that's all we've got time for on this month's show thank you very much for listening do remember to tell your friends about this podcast um, we'd love to hear from you uh, just send us an email to connect at nomadblog.co.uk uh, you can check out the blog which is constantly being updated by Tim Nash uh, that's uh, nomadblog.co.uk you can find us on Facebook if you just type in Nomad Podcast into Facebook you'll find the fan page and again there's quite a lot of discussion and feedback from the different topics we've been thinking about and we look forward to seeing you again in two weeks time for Nomad Extra uh, so we'll see you then for more about Nomad check out nomadblog.co.uk